how many of you have plans for like your life? Yeah, plans are fun, right? It's okay to say you have plans. Everybody has plans, and those plans are great when they happen and they go according to plan, but there's something that none of us like. It's when those plans are totally disrupted. When you're going down your path of life and it's like, I'm going to be here by this age, here by this age, here by this age, and then I'll retire at this age if that's in your future, if that's what you want to do, and everything is great. But how often does that happen? Never. So, and it's, and it's with every plan, whether it's planning for your weekend or whether it's planning for lunch, which is a very important plan, whether it's planning for your job or your family, your plans are always disrupted. This happened this past uh, two weeks, two, three weeks ago. My family was all in town. Uh, I have a brother that lives in Texas. Poor, poor Bob. Uh, he lives in this, this dusty town called Odessa. If any of you have been through Odessa. Yeah, she's laughing because she's been there. Imagine the moonscape, but dust. And the trees, I don't know what they did to them, but they're gone. Uh, but, and, and it's, uh, the, the highest elevation is the oil rigs and the on-ramps to the freeway. And so, but that's Odessa, and that's where my brother lives. So he came up here, and he was shocked. He didn't know what these tall green things were. And my mom, and he came up here with his, his wife and his two kids, and, and my mom came up, and she's been up here before. Many of you met her. And so they were all here. And, and so we, there was 12 of us when you count my other brother and all of his kids. And so we decided one night that we were going to try and make dinner plans for 15 which is great. And so my brother lives in Redmond, and so we decided, hey, let's, let's, let's have you not fight the 520 freeway at, at dinner time. so let's, let's all go out there. And so we go out there, and we had, we had plans to go to one restaurant in Bellevue, and as we're walking up, I had Judah, Carrie was working, and so I had Judah on my shoulders, and we're walking into the restaurant, and we say, we have 15, and they look at us like, no, you're not coming in. There's like four kids. No, you're not. And so we're all like, oh, oh, no, what do we do? Our plans totally, totally disrupted. We had no idea what we were going to do. It's small, but it threw our whole schedule off. It's very rare that the three of us brothers will actually agree on a place to go for dinner. Uh, it's very rare that we actually want to go across the lake to Bellevue. It's very rare that my brother's in town. And so it was just this convergence of plans and everything was going great until it wasn't. Plans get disrupted. Plans happen like that. Sometimes our plans get disrupted, and when they're disruptive, what happens to us? Whether it's plans for dinner, whether it's plans for life, whether it's plans for your marriage, whether it's plans for your parents, whether it's plans for anything, when your plans are disrupted, usually you turn to panic, fear, worry, and the question begins, am I enough? Will I have enough? And what the heck am I going to do now? Does this sound familiar? Have we been here before? I have. Not with just dinner plans, but with life plans. Things don't go according to them, and you find yourself stuck. So, we're looking at this passage of, of Luke. It's a famous passage. It's so famous that they decided to put it in all four Gospels famous. Every, every Gospel writer tells this story a little bit differently and they're all telling the same one, and it's about a plan that got disrupted. And in this plan, you start to see the disciples doubting 
what God was going to do. We start to see what, uh, what Jesus was, was planning on doing and his plan was disrupted. And they begin to doubt, they begin to fear, they begin to have the emotions that we have. And what we see in this is the three, we see three stages throughout this text. We see a plan disrupted, then we see that there's a lesson learned, and then we see that there's a ramifications to their lessons. So first, let's start with the disruption. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all they had done. You see, what happened in the section before this is Jesus sends all 12 of them out and says, go into the towns. It's a famous passage. Go into the towns. Share with them that the kingdom has come. Take nothing with you, he instructs them. Don't take an extra cloak. Don't take your staff. Just take the sandals on your feet and the clothes you're wearing and go and God will supply what you need. And then they come back. We don't know exactly what happened and and when they were out, but they came back and they were reporting it all to Jesus like it was awesome. In Brad's translation, they were saying this happened, this happened. And Jesus says, cool, let's all go take a break. You guys have had a hard week. Let's go take a break. So they decide to go to Bethsaida. It's a town on the lake. It's probably going to be beautiful. But when they withdrew, the crowd started following them. He, and then Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed everyone that needed to be healed. Do you see the disruption? Jesus says, let's us 12, or us 13, counting him, let's go someplace where we can relax. Let's get away from the chaos. The disciples were tired. They had been working for a long time, and they needed a break. And now... They're having to work again. They went village to village, and now they're hoping for a break. And they come back to town, they swap their stories, and now 5,000 people are following them. It's not just one or two. It's not a, a person with leprosy here or a person that needs to be healed here. It's 5,000 people. The day that they were planning on resting was Jesus' biggest attendance ever. And what did Jesus do? He heals every single one of them that needed to be healed. In the middle of the disruption, Jesus starts working. What do the disciples do? They totally freak out. Jesus was trying to show them something. Jesus was trying to show them that their plans, though they were completely thwarted, does he freak out? No. He, told, he starts to work. Even though their plans were thwarted, even though their, what they wanted to do didn't happen, Jesus takes the time and he sees every single person that's following them. Everyone that needed his touch, they got his touch. Everyone that needed healing got healing. So what does Jesus do? In the face of disruption, he welcomes the disruption. There's not much he can do about this. It's here. We have to go through it. It's happened. I welcome the disruption is what Jesus did. The disciples needed to learn the same thing that Jesus was trying to show them. That in the middle of the disruption of our lives is the fertile ground of what God is trying to do. All we see is chaos. All we see is disruption. All we see is everything we're trying to avoid. To avoid. But God sees something that's able to work. When we see chaos, when we see disruption, God sees a chance for himself to move. We see I, we, plenty of times in my personal life, but we've seen this a lot with my mom lately. Dad died two and a half years ago. Before dad's passing, they had plans. Dad was going to get his lung transplant. 
They had already purchased a house in Temecula, which is south, kind of in between Orange County and, and San Diego. It's like wine country. They had already purchased a house there. They were getting ready to move. Dad was putting the finishing touches on it. And then he went to the hospital. Their plans were to live in Temecula. They had already bought the car that was going to take them to Odessa, Texas. Why? I don't know. But they were going to go there, and then they were going to come to Seattle, and they were gonna, that was halfway between my brother in Texas and my brother and I up here. This was their plan. This was their retirement. Dad was going to still run his construction company in the part-time because my dad was unable to be bored. Uh, and so he was, this was their plan, and then... The lung transplant didn't come, and their plans were thwarted. Dad died, those plans, those dreams died, and for a while we watched mom because her plans for her life were gone, and now she was wondering what she's going to do. She had a major life disruption, and so we watched her walk through it, and now two and a half years later, we're starting to see God's ability to take this major disruption in her life and begin to use it in her. Mom is 74 years old, and she would say that she's an old dog and she's learning new tricks. Uh, there's new life in her where, she saw, where only she saw death. There's courage coming up in her where all she saw was fear. In the middle of the disruption, God is beginning to work in different ways that she would never expected to God to work. In the middle of your disruption, the disciples, we're going to see in a minute, freak out and they can't see God working. In the middle of your life's disruption, will you be able to see God work? Dad wrote a little book for all of us kids, and it's about that thick. It's called Lessons from the Plow. Dad grew up on a farm, and he used to plow the field all the time. And he wrote this for us. One day, the ground you're tilling will get hard, and you'll be tempted to quit, but keep plowing, because when you do, you'll be able to see God moving in ways you never planned him to move. A lot of us are facing disruption in our lives, and our first reaction is, we're going to be done. I'm out. Let me go. And sometimes it's okay to quit. Sometimes you get to this point, it's like, God is saying, yes, it's okay to quit. But a lot of times when you're facing the disruption, even quitting, God is saying, I can still work through this if you allow me to use this disruption. There's fertile ground for you in the middle of all these plans that aren't working out. God will still use it. The ground's going to get hard. Keep plowing. The ground will get easy. Dad was right. Ground got hard for mom and she kept plowing. And watch what happens to the disciples. The ground got hard for them. They're tired. They can't even. They're hungry. They can't move anymore. And God moves. Look in verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to them, to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote, in a remote place here. Uh, in other words, send them away so we can continue going on with our plans. And I like this. It says the 12 came to them, all 12 of them at one time. It was like the perfect storm, and they all got together and said, okay, guys, look, if we present a unified front, it'll be 12 against one. And then we can convince him to say, okay, you're right, you should go. And we can't, we can't all, we have to be unified here. Peter, you can't open your mouth here. Let me do the talking, says John. 
And so they go to him. And you can hear the frustration in their voices. We're tired. They're tired. We're hungry. They're hungry. We're halfway to Nowheresville. Can we send them away now? Can we go take a nap? They're tired and they're hungry. And when you're tired and when you're hungry, no matter if you're two or 82, you're not thinking right and you're throwing a tantrum. And it's, I see it with Judah every day. Judah's two years old. He's tired. He's hangry. And the, it's the perfect excuse for them to say to Jesus, send them off. We want to go on. And notice it was all 12 of them. And they want to be done that day. I love to imagine how this one all went down. And then you see Jesus' reply. You give them something to eat. Then they answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we can go down into town and buy food for this entire crowd, for all of this crowd. Mark's gospel says it differently. He says, then they said to him, that would, that would take more than a half a year's wage. Are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And they weren't exactly freaking out for no reason. There wasn't a Costco nearby. It would, a half a year's wage is, well, a, is about 200 denarii. A denarii, a hundred denarii comes out to this in our dollar. $11,733.33. That's a hundred denarii. 200 denarii, $23,466.66. It's not like the disciples are freaking out over nothing. It's not like a 99-cent Taco Bell run or going to Dick's Burgers and grabbing a bag of burgers and, and coming down. This is real money. And Jesus is saying, you give them something to eat. The disciples had great points. We're tired. We're hungry. We don't have that kind of cash, Jesus. How are we going to throw this dinner party? In the middle of their disruption, notice the disciples are still in the middle of this all. In the middle of their disruption, all they can see is their obstacle. All they can see is that there is no way out of this. And they're blind to the fact that they're with God himself who is able to see a way out through the midst of all of their disruptions. They miss the fact that they're with Jesus. Our disruptions do the same things for us. In the middle of our disruptions, we'd be good to learn this lesson. This is a lesson that's been told throughout all of Scripture. It always goes back to Exodus, right? The first time we see this kind of disruption is in Exodus. The people of Israel cross the Red Sea a few pages later. They're sitting out there. They're out of food, and they begin to grumble. In Exodus 16, in the desert, in 16 verse 2, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Notice it was the entire community. It wasn't just one or two. They all got together and said, hey, we need to prevent a unified front here. We're hungry. Everybody goes up to Jesus. The entire community, just like it was the entire 12 of the disciples. And they said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat, which sounds awesome, right? Sorry, vegetarians. Maybe there was kale. <laughs> Pots of kale or black bean burgers. And we ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us to this desert to starve and the entire, and the, starve this entire assembly to death. Do we see the same kind of problem? They're in the middle of nowhere. They're on the other side of the sea. They're hungry. 
they're tired. They have just seen God move in miraculous ways. They just saw the entire Red Sea split. Pharaoh's army drowned. That was like a page and a half ago. And now they're doubting again. God, we're going to die. We're tired. We're hungry. There's no food in the middle of nowhere. What are we going to do here? And here's God's answer. It comes a few verses later. I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Grumbling's not a nice word in Hebrew. He heard them complaining. Tell them this. At twilight, you will eat meat. Yes. And in the morning, you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, the quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes of like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. This is where they get frosted flakes for you cereal lovers. <laughs> dad joke. I'm a dad. I'm allowed to. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? Which is the word manna. For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Israelites tired and hungry. No way in their minds was God ever going to work this through this disruption. They were thinking they were going to go straight into the promised land. There's no way they can get this on their own. They panicked, they complained, and then God provides for them. When all they saw was disruption, the first lesson they learn about God is that he provides in the middle of this, the disruption. There's another section of scripture that has the same kind of thing, and this is in 2 Kings chapter 4. A man came from Baal Shalishah, we'll call it Shalish Casino, and bringing the man from bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain along with some heads of new grain give it to the people to eat elisha said how can i set this before a hundred men his servant asked but elisha answered give it to the people to eat for this is what the lord says they will eat and they will have some left over then he set it before them, and they ate, and they had some left, o- left over, according to the word of God. There's a lesson being taught here, and there's a theme being taught in these two passages and these other passages. When all we see is a disruption, God sees an opportunity, and it's a lesson that we need to learn. The disciples freaking out that day, because there's no way that God can make this work. There's no way that God can move in this place. And Jesus says this to his disciples. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50. Again, Mark is more detailed, and he says this in verse 38, chapter 6. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Matthew tells the story about how a little boy came up with five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them, and said, have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So the disciples, all of them come to Jesus. They're panicked. In the middle of the disruption, they express their fears that they'll never have enough, that they'll never be enough, that there's no way out of this. They can never avoid, afford enough. And the disciples have two options, and we have the same two options here. They can go to town, or they can share what they have. But notice what they don't ever consider who they're with, rather, who's with them. Have you ever been so blinded by fear? Have you ever been so gripped by your anxiety, crippled and devastated by your loss that you're never able to see your way out? 
Our fears do that to us. They make, us all, they make it so all that we can see is what's in front of us, and currently what's in front of us is a problem. And we fail to see what's beyond the problem is God's hand working in ways that we'll never, ever imagine. When disruptions come, and disruptions will come, we'd be good if we could be like the disciples and learn the same lessons that they learned, that there's a God behind us, there's a God with us, That'll provide even when we don't see a way out. It happened in Exodus in the middle of the desert. Crazy story about Exodus is it happened every day for 40 years. When you're reading through Joshua, when they take the promised land, there's a little small verse, and I love it, and it says, and this was the last day that they didn't have manna and quail. It also says that their shoes never ran out, so they never had to go to the shoe store. God provided everything that they needed in the place where they saw nothing but devastation and loss of hope. When we're looking at our problems, we fail to see God moving. We fail to see the answer. Of course, when we freak out, we're supposed to freak out, kind of. It's normal. It's not like fear and anxiety are are reactions that we can't have. It's not like doubting is a bad reaction. No, there's plenty of doubt, and doubt's okay. God can work through your doubt. You can't see the answers out. That's why God's here. You were never meant to see all the answers that you can have. You're never meant to see more than just a few steps in front of you. In Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp and a light. Many people have made this observation, but a lamp and a light will only give you a few steps in advance. It doesn't, it's not a 50,000 watt halogen light in front of you that says, here is the entire, it's not Siri on your iPhone or Google Glenda, whatever you call her on your Android. It's, (laughs) it's one step at a time. Because if you're honest, if you were to see all the steps you were going to take in your life, you'd be even more freaked out. God gives you one step, and he says in the middle of the disruption, I'm not going to give you all the answers. I'm going to give you this next one. And what does Jesus say to this? When he sees our limits, God sees our possibilities. In verse 15, the disciples did what Jesus told them to do. Everyone sat down, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to the heavens, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute among the people. They all ate and they were all satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. Do you think it's funny that all 12 of them came to Jesus and complained about not having enough food? And Jesus makes dinner for everybody, all 5,000. And then he goes to them and says, here's your basket of leftovers. You doubted me. It's kind of like Jesus rubbing it in their face a little bit. You doubted, but I made more than enough. Every time I come across this story, it completely encourages me, baffles me, and amazes me in a lot of different ways. This time I, I read it through it, and, I, and I'm struck by the disciples' insistence that all they had were two loaves of bread and a fish. And their insistence that this was all they had, and God couldn't work through it. Therefore, it's impossible that God can do something to me. The disciples were doubting themselves. They were doubting their God that he can do something like this. And I love Jesus' answer. Don't tell me what you're missing. Don't tell me what you don't have. 
you're enough. Jesus, and, and, and I see Jesus saying this, you're enough. You have everything you need. And when you don't have everything you need, this is where I get to step in. And this is where I get to do a little math with you. Jesus' math looks like this. Me plus Jesus equals enough. If I go me plus my bank account, it's never enough. If I go me plus my job, not enough. Me plus Jesus, and this is what Jesus is trying to instill in the disciples because they're going to have a lot to do in the next few years. You plus Jesus, enough. When you think you don't have enough, it's enough. When we try to do things on our own, we'll never be enough. When we try to do things in our own strength, it'll never be enough. Jesus gives them that lesson. And then he says here, and and then there's ramifications that go along with it. This day, Jesus provides for the disciples everything that they couldn't provide for themselves. And the ramifications are taken with them for the rest of their lives. In the next couple chapters, Jesus sends out 72. And they go out again, and they take nothing with them. And they learn, and they they rely on God for everything. The ramifications are for us, too. Some of us are quite familiar with the disciples being very aware of their limits. Maybe you're far too familiar with yours. And because of that, maybe you adopted this kind of phrase, Oh, I can't do that. Oh, there's no way. And you just laugh it off. Oh, there's no way God would ever do that with me. There's no way I can do this. There's no way I could serve. There's no way I can share uh, Jesus with, no, no, not me. The first ramification is this. Stop saying that you can't. Stop saying that you won't be able to. We're all invited into be a part of what God is doing. We, each of us, come to Jesus completely empty-handed. All we have is what little we have to offer, and Jesus can take all those inadequacies and still accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish. In this instance, we all learn that we're all basket cases, but Jesus fills the basket. He fills us. He sends us out. You're a basket case. So am I. But God fills our baskets to be used. Everyone is enough. Disciples, seekers, skeptics, naysayers, in Christ you have enough because in Christ you are enough. The other ramification that we learn from this is stop giving everything to Jesus and then telling him what to do. I do this, my prayer starts like this. Dear Lord, I just need you to move here. And I give it all to him. I say, it's all yours. And then I, a few lines later, if I'm trying to stay awake or if I, I'm still praying, well, I need you to do it this way, and I need you to do it this time, and this specific person, okay, thanks, let me know how the to-do list goes, because I've just laid out a specific thing. What have I done? I've asked God to do something for me, and now I'm telling him how to do it. What do the disciples do? They come to Jesus and say, this is all we have, and Jesus goes, watch me work now. Now you be quiet. Go get them in 50 groups of 50 or 100, as Mark says, and watch me work. Stop telling Jesus what to do when we pray. If we ask him what to do, we don't tell him how to do it. My dad and mom used to have, they had a fun relationship. Um, on Saturdays, dad would be working and he'd be in the garage doing his thing and, or around the yard. And I remember one time dad was fixing sprinklers. 
Mom hated, hates everything having to do with water, so dad get the sprinklers and he's fixing it. And, uh, and I remember I was in the other side of the yard, but I heard their conversation. Dad's fixing it and mom's standing over his shoulder like this. Well, if you just do this and, and do that. And dad was a very patient, gentle, gentle man. And he put down his wrench and said, Muriel, that's my mom's name. Muriel, you can tell me what to do and you can tell me how to do it. But please, never do both. And it, it was, dad knew exactly what he was doing. Mom was trying to be in control of the situation. Mom figured it out, laughed it off, and, and went in and did her thing. And dad picked up his tools and began to work. The sprinklers got fixed. Were they fixed in the proper order of what my mom was wishing them to be fixed in? No. We have a choice when we come to Jesus with our disruptions. We can ask him to fix it and then leave it all with him and say, Lord, fix this. This is my plans. Will you begin to work? Will you show me how to get through this? Will you give me wisdom? Will you give me this? We can pray that way. But when we start prescribing to God everything he should do, I think sometimes God's looking at us going, come on. I can take whatever little thing you have and multiply it by 5,000. But you got to let go of this and you got to watch me work here. Many of us, when we pray, this is the last ramification. Many of us, when we pray, we pray with closed hands. I want it my way. I want it like how I want it. I can't imagine it being any other way. This is how we pray. The ramification we get from this story is that we need to be open-handed with things. Where we say, God, fill my hands. Take from my hands. The disciples come to them, to Jesus, with five, with five loaves of bread and a fish. Open-handedly, they say to God, to Jesus, this is all we have. And Jesus goes, perfect. It's just enough. You're just enough. In the middle of your disruptions, you're still just enough. You have enough to get through it. You have enough strength to get through it because with you and Jesus is more than enough. The plan for the disciples, their way out of the disruption was sitting right behind them or right in front of them the entire time. But they failed to see past their disruption. So my family and I sitting on the corner of Belle, in Bellevue looking for a place to eat. We had no place to go. We're hungry. Judah, when he's hungry, is not fun. And he, the other kids are just not fun when they're that hungry. And we're wondering where to go. We're now bickering over what restaurant to go to. And then we stop and we turn around and there's an open table. It's silly, but it's what happened. Oftentimes, we're so busy looking at our disruptions that we fail to turn around and see God and Jesus standing behind us going, I have the everything you're looking for. You just have to come to me. In me, you'll find that you are enough. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you plus us is everything we could imagine. It's enough. In you, we find a, a table for 5,000 and there's plenty of food and there's going to be some leftovers. And so God, may we in the middle of our disruptions avoid sliding into the everything depends on what we can do mindset. 
where everything is on our backs because we're not alone in this. So Lord, may we learn to pray open-handedly. May we learn to follow with faith, knowing that you can work through the most disrupted plans that we come across. May we be encouraged knowing that you're for us, you're with us, and you promise never to leave us.